Hey, this is Travis Bennett, the pastor here at Arena of Life Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I pray this builds your faith, encourages you, and brings you to newer levels in Christ. Enjoy the message. Before you're seated and say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Tonight, I'm going to be taught from the ever-living, incorruptible seed of the Word of God. I will never, ever, ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated tonight. <clears throat> so good to have Brady and Sarah Lagunas with us. They're home. They're like the prodigal kids that have come home. Hallelujah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so glad. It's good to see the new couple in the house as well. All right. We, we got another new couple to be here next week, but uh, we got us a wedding uh, this weekend. So excited about that. We got a lot of stuff going on this weekend. Richard, what are you doing this weekend? Celebrating Easter? All right. All right. All right, there you go. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, it says this, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teacheth you again, which be the pr first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are full of age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In Hebrews 6 and verse 1, it says, therefore, so now we see why it's therefore. Anytime in Scripture, you always have to read the text before, like Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Now, how many of y'all were here last week on the doctrines of baptisms? All right, praise God. I believe tonight uh, you're going to learn something new. Real quick, I just want to do a real recap. <clears throat> We've discussed at length God's strong desire that none of his children get stuck at any point in their Christian walk. God wants us all to pass every grade, the first time in the school of the Spirit, the first time in the school of Spirit, so we can move upward e into even higher dimensions of our walk with Him. How many of y'all have a desire to do that? Amen. I believe that even when we go to when we get to heaven, we'll constantly be moving upward from glory to glory to faith to faith, learning more and more <clears throat> and more. God always wants us to go higher and deeper, as Hebrews 6.1 says, unto perfection. So then verses 1 and 2 go on, on to the list. The six fundamental doctrines, if you haven't been here, this is just a recap, are the building blocks of our foundation to the Christian faith, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, a resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. judgment. As we've seen in your foundation... If, if your foundation is not strong, what you build on top of it will eventually 
lead to some kind of wrong outcome or conclusion that will in turn lead to problems in your life. Whether it's a wrong moral decision, a crazy doctrine, or a misguided spiritual base, what you build, <coughs> what you build will begin to lean. Something will go wrong at some point along the way if your foundation is not right like the leaning tower of Pisa. A strong doctrinal foundation has saved you from building your life crooked and off course. There will be many choices and actions you don't even have to pray about because you have the Bible in your life, in your heart, in your spirit, right? The eternal truths in God's word give you the foundation you need to immediately know what is right and what is wrong on many issues. We all need a firm spiritual foundation that includes you, your children, your grandchildren, and your friends. Amen. If you, if you don't do what is necessary to ensure that the next generation understand, if we, <coughs> sorry, if you don't do what is necessary to ensure that the next generation understand these fundamental truths of God's word, they will grow up without that solid foundation. And somewhere along the way, there will be a bad result. It bears repeating every born again person should be, be established in these six doctrines. So far, we've looked at these. Number one, repentance from dead works. You begin your Christian life with repentance and you'll be repenting the rest of your life. It's essential that you know that the Bible, what the Bible says about repentance. It's about face. You're going in one direction. You repent. You go the other. I'm y'all thankful for the act of repentance. <clears throat> he forgives us every time as far as the east is from the west. The second one we talked about was faith toward God. This is faith that is rooted in Christ and Christ alone. This is so foundational that if you don't understand it, you may not even be saved. It's an absolute cornerstone to your faith. It bears repeating again. If you don't understand repentance first, you won't be able to understand a faith in God because you can't have a faith in God unless you've had true repentance in your heart. Here's the third one is the doctrine of baptisms. If you were here last week, I hope uh, uh, lots of times we're taught as a kid, it's baptism, but this scripture says baptism, and what we did was, is we went through the baptism uh, of, of the Holy Spirit, which is our heart, is now made new through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll call that the baptism of the blood, when we ask Jesus to come live on the inside of us. Then the second one is the, the, the baptism of Jesus, what we call it as charismaniac, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's... Uh, what did, what did, what did, um, he said, I baptize you in water, the, the, um, John the Baptist, he, he told him, he said, I baptize you in water, but there's one that's coming after me that will baptize you in, in, in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And so, um, then we talked about the third one, believer's baptism. I called it the wedding ring. If you weren't here last week, when we get baptized in front of everybody, we're letting everybody know that we belong to the Lord. When you wear that wedding ring, you're letting people know that you belong to somebody. And when we get baptized, the Bible says, confess before men and I'll confess before my Father in heaven. I believe there's two ways that we do that. When we ask Jesus to be the Lord of our life. And the second time, when we, when in the act of water baptism, Romans chapter 6 says we're, we're buried in that old man. How many of y'all thankful that you, you buried the old man? Amen. And so uh, uh, 
the doctrine of baptisms, again, the word baptism, plural. There is one primary and essential baptism. Then there are two other baptisms that are vital to your spiritual growth. As a Christian, you need to understand all three. <clears throat> so I hope you understood that last week. It's vital that you go through the first baptism and then two and three, or you can do them three and two. But you've got to do number one first, right? Amen. Ask the Lord to, uh, to be a part of your life. Now we're going to move on and study the next foundational doctrine listed in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, the laying on of hands. Now I want to ask a question in here. Before you came to this church, laying on of hands, was it, was it foreign to you? I'm going to see a, uh, a show of hands. All right. Very good. Well, we're going to open some eyes to see and ears to hear tonight because it's very fundamental in your walk with Christ. I heard Oral Roberts tell a story, <clears throat> or actually I heard somebody tell a story about Oral Roberts one time, and he asked him, he said, what was the hardest part of your ministry? He said, I'll never forget it, such and such day I was in Brazil, and he said, he said, why was it so hard? He said, because there was 500,000 people in attendance. He goes, well, that should be exciting. Why would be that, that be that hard? He said, because the... Uh, what God has used me in, in my ministry is these. And laying hands on 500,000 people is a lot of work. And so, <clears throat> but he, he, he stood the test of time. All right, the doctrine of laying on of hands, both God and man. It's amazing that right in the middle of these six fundamental doctrines is the laying on of hands. Repentance and faith toward God are so crucial in your Christian faith. The three baptisms, resurrection and eternal judgment. Each of these is so crucial. Each of these is so crucial. And, and right in the middle of these critically important foundational doctrines, we find the doctrine of laying on of hands. All throughout Scripture, when you see something in the middle, I believe it's very vital. Why is the doctrine of laying on of hands right alongside the other five weighty foundational truths in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2? What is it about laying on of hands that makes it so vital to our faith? It makes no sense if you think about it, but we're going we're gonna to dig into it. If you weren't raised around seeing this practice in your church growing up or since you gave your heart to Christ, this may be foreign to you, but bear with me. Your hands are spiritual instruments that God wants to use to convey spiritual power and blessings to others. I'm going to say that again. Your hands, even in the workplace, your hands are spiritual instruments that God wants to use to convey spiritual power and blessings to others. This truth is so important for you to understand and to, and to firmly plant your heart and in your mind. This is what the, what the Bible teaches, and it is always, it was always intended to be a central doctrine of the church. From the beginning, the very beginning of time, God has used the laying on of hands for the supernatural transfer of power, blessing, spiritual gifts, and authority. Of course, hands have no magical qualities in and of themselves, but God in his wisdom designed for hands to be the means of transfer for spiritual goods. The divine transaction takes place when a believer lays hands on another person in faith and the Holy Spirit then imparts whatever is needed to the recipient. This includes healing, deliverance to the sick and the oppressed and so much more. 
It's well established in Scripture that God designed human hands to be instruments through, through which these blessings should be transferred to another person. But we can also see throughout the Word that this same principle is true concerning God's hands in the Old Testament. We read often about the hand of the Lord coming upon someone. That Old Testament phrase was used in a moment when God supernaturally imparted something to a person or to a group of people. For example, the phrase, the hand of the Lord, depicted a moment when God's hand supernaturally came on a person or a group of people to impart power or superhuman ability to perform his purposes. An example is the moment the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. We see this in 1 Kings 18, 46. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins. How many of y'all need some of y'all that have no ass at all? The hand of the Lord to pick up them britches? I know J.C. does. And he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Don't you know this was a powerful moment when he's out running, uh, running some people here? When, when that happened, Elijah was so empowered, look at that, so empowered that he was able to outrun the king's chariot. So we see this pattern of transference through the hand of the Lord in Scripture, even when God himself is the one being referred to. When his hand comes upon someone, a divine impartation or transference from God to man takes place. This is already good. I hope you're getting it. There are several instances in the Old Testament when the hand of the Lord performed miracles for or imparted other forms of great blessings to a person or a group of people. We see it in Joshua 4.23 right here. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did the Red Sea, and he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord. It's not only for the believer, but it's for the unbeliever as well. That it is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. We see it in 2 Kings 3.15. How many of y'all were here this summer when I had Stanley in my hand? All right. We got to change the atmosphere. How many of y'all remember that? We got to change the atmosphere. It's a good reminder to us. We got to change the atmosphere. But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. We see it in Ezra, uh, chapter 7, verses 6 and 28. This Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord, his God, upon him. And has extended mercy, verse 28. To me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. So I was encouraged as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. On the flip side of that, his hand also sometimes brought judgment to those who opposed his ways or his righteous plan. I believe that is on me sometimes as a father. Praise the Lord. Amen. That righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 2.15, it says, For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. We see in Judges 2.15, Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. 
We see it in 1 Samuel 5 and verse 6. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, but Ashdod and both Ashdod and its territory. We still use this terminology today when we say, I really can see the hand of God on that person. What do we mean when we make statements like this? It normally means we can see a noticeable demonstration of some part of God's nature or power on that person's life because God has laid his hand on him or her and imparted special gifts or abilities. I mean, y'all know people like this. Or we might say the hand of God was really on our church service today. In other words, we're saying that the hand of God was resting on a particular church service in a special way. And where the hand of God is, something of a divine nature takes place or it happens. In the Old Testament, let's look at the doctrine of laying on of hands. The Bible establishes this doctrine, the laying on of hands from the very beginning. Read some commentary here of Keith Trump an American Bible Society scholar who has been awarded the highest marks for his studies in Hebrew and Greek, shared the following insight regarding the significance of the doctrine that extends all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Get this. Keith explained, throughout the Old Testament, people both gave and received massive blessings or curses via their hands. On this matter, Genesis serves as the seed plot containing the whole. And the rest being merely the development of the many grand details infused within it. Adam and Eve took the fruit of both the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil with their hands. Thus the last Adam had his hands nailed to a tree. The hands of Cain wrung the blood of Abel from his body into the ground. Conversely, the blood flowed from the hands of Jesus unto the same earth and now speaks more favorably than the revenge crying blood of Abel. I'd never seen that before. Isn't that good? We see the first specific mention of this doctrine in Genesis chapter 27 when the elderly Isaac wanted to pass his blessing on to Jacob. Isaac had been blessed by God throughout his life. Now it was time for him to give the blessing to his son Jacob. Looking just a little bit in this text, you can go back and read all of it. But it said, Isaac said to Jacob, please come near. You know the text. He's wanting to bless Esau. But Jacob, through the help of his mother, moms, y'all be careful with this with your boys, said, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. He wanted to feel him. What was he going to feel him with? His hands. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son? You know the rest of the story. He, he blesses him when it was really Esau's. This text tells us how Isaac fulfilled that spiritual responsibility. He laid his hands upon Jacob. Fully assured that the blessing would literally pass through his hands into his son. In other words, Isaac understood that his hands were the vehicle through which the blessing would pass through his life into the life of his son Jacob. An inheritance of favor and increase that Jacob would walk in from that day forward. Read it because he does. And what was it? It was a transference through his hands. 
Years later, as Jacob, whom God had given the new name Israel, was nearing death, he desired to transfer his family to his family the blessing he had received from his father Isaac. In Genesis chapter 48, Israel asked his son Joseph to bring his grandsons Manasseh and Ephraim to his bedside. When Joseph did what his father asked, the Bible tells us that Israel didn't just speak words of blessing over his grandsons. He understood that for the blessing on his life to be transferred into their lives, he had to lay his hands on them because the blessing would be passed through his hands. And this is what happened. Genesis 48. I won't read all of it, but here's some of it. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand and, and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and left his hand of Manasseh's head guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long, this, long, to, my life long to this day, the angel whom, who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be, a, be named upon them, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right on hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will bless, saying, God, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So in Genesis 48, 13 through 20, Israel laid his hands on Manasseh and Ephraim, and the blessing was literally imparted through the hands into their lives. Are you beginning to see it already? Then as we go to Exodus chapter 28 and 29, we find the ordination of Aaron and his sons to the office of the priest. The priestly garments were placed upon Aaron and his sons, and as Moses anointed them with oil and laid hands on them, the call of God was not only acknowledged, it was also awakened in them. I mean, I believe there's an awakening in the laying on of hands. Instantly, the power of God was activated in their lives and divine enablement to fulfill their priestly office literally passed into them through the hands of Moses, the God-appointed leader. Moses understood that his hands were the conduit through which his anointing would come on Aaron and his sons. We also find this principle demonstrated in the ministry of Moses to Joshua when Moses imparted spiritual authority to his nephew Joshua by laying his hands on him. Moses could have just said, Joshua, I'm giving you authority. But that wouldn't have accomplished the deed. Moses fully understood that the spiritual impartation of wisdom and power to lead that God desired to give Joshua had to, had to be passed through Moses' hands. So the leader's hands, Moses, were the instrument through which these blessings passed from him into the younger man, Joshua, appointed to take his place. 
Numbers 28, 27, 18. Here's another example. And the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. So God himself, sorry, this is the same text here, but God himself basically said, Moses, you have to get your hands on Joshua if the anointing is going to go be is is going to be passed to him. Do you see it? It will happen the moment you lay your hands on him. Your hands are the channel through which the transfer will take place. Now in Deuteronomy 34 and verse 9, now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So a transference and an impartation took place when Moses' hands were laid on Joshua. And the laying on of hands continued to hold a significant role for God's people under the law through those anointed as priests. Keith Trump also made this observation. More than 2,000 years after Cain and Abel, the Lord masterfully wove the inescapable truth about his power flowing through hands into the fabric of of the priestly system. Throughout Scripture, the number 60 points to the reality of God's eternal covenant both embracing and surrounding those receiving it thus the the priestly blessing consists of exactly 60 letters furthermore the priests had to employ both hands both hands to impart this blessing they used two hands because each hand contained 30 bones for a total of 60 isn't that cool Their hands served as conduits through which God manifested the power of his eternal judgment. That's slick. It is the way God designed it. Man's hands are vital to the impartation of spiritual goods. That's the Old Testament. Now let's look at at Jesus' ministry. This might take us a while here. We're going to get through it. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 40. Is one scripture that reveals the vital role that laying of ha- on of hands held in Jesus' ministry. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. This was a big event because everyone got involved. The entire town literally vacated their homes and came on the scene where Jesus was, bringing all who were sick, diseased, or oppressed by or oppressed to Jesus. It was a large crowd, yet the Bible says he laid his hands on every single one who needed his healing touch. At times in Jesus's earthly ministry, he healed people throughout uh, through different means, such as the spoken word. We see this here. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. Come on. How many of y'all know we need to speak the word? And my servant will be healed, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said, and said to all those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that 
that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will cast out into outer darkness. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So he spoke the word and healed him, but he also laid hands. And we see another um, example of this, uh, of the daughter that was uh, demon-possessed. Well, let's just go ahead and read it. We're in Bible school. Why not? Matthew 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And he said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs from which fall from the master's table. I did actually a teaching on this. How many of y'all remember when I did this teaching? In in um, especially when that goofy guy on TikTok made this racist, and it did something in me, and I had to go after him. But <laughs> you can go back and watch. You remember? It made me mad, so I had to do live the next morning. It totally messed me up, but I had to explain the text. Then Jesus answered and said, her old woman, great is your faith. Let it be at be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. The spoken word uh, to the girl and she was healed. But Jesus understood that healing and deliverance, healing and deliverance were primarily brought through the laying on of hands. He knew that his hands were the primary instruments or conduits through which God would impart power. Gifts, authority, and physical healing to people. In Luke 4 and verse 40, it says, When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. So we see here that Jesus wanted to lay his hands on the people who were sick or diseased because through his hands, a transfer of power would take place that would heal their bodies. It probably took many hours for Jesus to lay his hands on everyone in the crowd who needed healing. But he was willing to do whatever was necessary to be able to lay his hands on the sick and affirm and infirm. Infirm so they could receive the power of God that would make them whole. In Mark 6 verse 5 it says now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people. And healed them. This one is he's in his own hometown. We see here that when Jesus went to his own village. Once again, we find Jesus laying his hands to impart healing power. When Jesus traveled to his own town, he came with healing power. He was ready to do there what he had been doing everywhere else. Heal all who came to him who were sick, oppressed and diseased. But the people in Jesus' hometown were full of doubt and unbelief. They couldn't receive his ministry because they had had known Jesus all his life as the carpenter's son and their familiarity with him and his family made it difficult for them to see who he really was. Lord, help my heart not to ever be familiar with Jesus. 
They couldn't get past their own familiar view of Jesus to see from a spiritual perspective who he actually was so they could receive from him. The word translated sick is the Greek word aristos, which is the very word used to describe people who were extremely ill, perhaps even comatose. In other words, Jesus couldn't find conscious people whom he could work with in Nazareth. So he went and found unconscious people. Isn't that something? He likely thought they're unconscious, so they can't doubt. It's easier to work with the unconscious in, in this town than it is with the conscious. I'm going to tell you, there's times in the church. If I'm going to be real, Miss Bonnie, it's easier to work with the unconscious sometimes than with the conscious. And how did Jesus heal these Aristos folks? He laid his hands on them to impart healing power. This happened again and again in Jesus' ministry. He wanted to get his hands on people. Jesus understood the way God has designed the power to flow. He knew it came through his hands. Everybody say hands. Here are some more examples from the Gospel of Matthew and Mark that illustrate how this principle was powerfully demonstrated through Jesus' early ministry. Now, we're just getting through Matthew and Mark because we'd be here a long time if we went ahead and went through Luke and um, John. But in Matthew 8, 3, Jesus laid his hands on a man and healed him. In Matthew 8, 15, Jesus laid his hands on Peter's mother-in-law and healed her. In Matthew 9 and verse 29, Jesus laid his hands again on blind people and healed them. Matthew 17, 7, Jesus laid his hands on the apostles and divinely imparted encouragement to them. In Matthew 20 and verse 34, Jesus again laid his hands on blind people, and as healing power passed through his hands into them, they were healed. In Mark 1, 41, as Jesus laid his hands on a leper, power passed through his hands, and the leper was healed. In Mark 8, 22, Jesus again laid his hands on a blind man. Healing power passed through his hands, and the blind man was healed. These instances listed of Jesus laying his hands on people are those found are those found just these are just found in the book of Matthew and Mark we could still go on through Luke and John and find many more examples the gospels are simply filled with these accounts of Jesus laying hands on people and seeing the restoring work of God the book of acts we can't we can't we can't not Go to the book of Acts. We can't not do it. Going on to the book of Acts, we find that the doctrine of the laying on of hands continue to be acted on in this kindergarten church. Brand new. This was something the early believers understood. They knew that whenever there was a laying on of hands, some kind of power took place. These early believers had grown up learning about the, this principle from the Old Testament, and they continued this pattern as they walked out those first early days of the church. For instance, the Bible tells us in Acts 6, 3 through 6, that the apostles laid hands on a group of men who were to become deacons in the first church. We read about it here in Acts 6, 3 through 6. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, whom... We may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, and all these other guys from Antioch. Amen? 
whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, what'd they do? They laid hands on them. It's like when we uh, uh, anoint people to be a pastor, an elder of a church, we lay hands on them. Notice that that it doesn't say the apostles just prayed and acknowledged the men who were to take these positions. The apostles knew that in order for these men to be spiritually equipped and to receive the power to do their job, the apostles had to lay their hands on them. It was through the laying on of hands that a divine transfer of spiritual goods would take place. And in that instant, when the apostles laid hands on these men, all the spiritual equipment they needed to be deacons was imparted to them. So the apostles who had been taught by Jesus now continued in the pattern of the master. They understood. We ought, how many of y'all know we ought to continue in the pattern of our master? Amen. They understood that through the laying on of hands, spiritual power would be imparted. They knew it wasn't enough to pray for them. They had to get their hands on them. That's why it was so wrong in the pandemic. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay, y'all hold on. Then in Acts 13, 1 through 3, it says, We have the account of the ordination of Barnabas and Saul into apostolic ministry. So in Acts 13, 1 through 3, it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there was a certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Is it Niger? All right. Uh, Luke. Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, man, Lord, these are, these are all questions I'm going to ask Peter when I get at the pearly gates. My first question is going to be, who wrote the book of Hebrews? That's going to be my first one. Who had been brought up from Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. The prophets and teachers in the Antioch church knew it was essential to get their hands on the two men God had called to fulfill their assignment. They understood that through the laying on of hands, there would be a transfer to Barnabas and Saul of God's calling, anointing, gifting, and authority. And as the ministers lay, laid their hands on the two men, the apostolic call was recognized, spiritual power was imparted, and special gifts needed for their calling were suddenly activated in the two men. All of that came through the laying on of hands. In the same way, God's spiritual blessings can be transferred through the hands of believers to others today according to his leading and his purposes. It's been true through the centuries. The hands of God's chosen people are the instruments he has always chosen to use. We see the laying on of hands demonstrated in Acts 8.14. Philip had gone to Samaria to preach Christ to the people who lived there. This passage tells us that what happened when Peter and John traveled to Samaria to join Philip. In Acts 14, let's read it. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It was the first baptism they received. But when they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. 
The apostles prayed for the people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but the people didn't receive until the apostles laid their hands on them. When that happened, a transfer of God's power took place, and at that moment, the people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. This experience of laying on of hands caused power to be visibly demonstrated in some way. In fact, a man named Simon the sorcerer was present, and whatever was happening that he witnessed caused him to grab hold of the power that caused such a manifestation. How many of y'all see that it's important that we lay hands on folks? In Acts 8, 18, it says this, And when Simon saw that through the laying on, on the apostles' hands of the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay, my, I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Notice it says, When Simon saw that through the laying, laying on the apostles' hands, there was something divine, something powerful happening that Simon could see it with his eyes. And it was a result of the divine impartation taking place as the apostles laid their hands on the people. In Acts 9, 17, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, and the uh, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Here we see by the Lord's command, Ananias came to the house where Saul was staying. When Ananias entered the house, he knew he had to get his hands on Saul as quickly as he could. The Lord had told Ananias that it was through the laying on of hands that Saul's eyes would be open and would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Later in Acts 19, 1 through 7, we have the account of the Apostle Paul coming to, into Upper Ephesus where he found a group of men who had never heard about Jesus. The Bible says Paul preached Christ to them, and then it relates what transpired afterwards. In verses 5 and 6 of 19, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Even the legendary Apostle Paul understood that he needed to get his hands on these new believers. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. That supernatural event only occurred when Paul laid his hands on them. Are you learning yet tonight? In the epistles, in 1 Timothy, I gave you an example of this last week before we ended to get you here. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 14, it says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you which has been given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Lots of us read 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But I want to tell you, he can't operate in that unless he first operates in verse 6. Look at it. In verse 6, he says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was prophesied to you with the laying on of hands. So there was a power that was in him to not fear. In fact, if you study uh, Timothy at all, as Paul is writing this young minister, Timothy, in the church of Ephesus at the time of where he is, I mean, y'all, we are not persecuted. I'm just telling you right now, we are not persecuted. I mean, he 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 was set on fire in the streets of Ephesus 
as a young minister. That's persecution. They came against me in my scripture on Facebook. That is not persecution. Right? I mean, think about this. In fact, I was very careful when I preached on the Beatitudes. If you were here, when blessed are those who are persecuted. And I was really troubled in my heart because I don't want people to think that their persecution is, um, you know, from things on Facebook. Or my boss doesn't like me because I'm a Christian. Persecution during these days was you were stoned. You were set on fire. I mean, look at the Apostle John. He was dipped in oil twice. Twice. Boiling oil twice. And he lived through that. So they sent him to the island of Patmos. And thank God he did because that's when he got a revelation of Jesus. Amen. So Paul, in effect, was saying to Timothy, the gift that is in you was passed on to you through hands. And Paul wrote down whose hands were laid on Timothy in the second epistle uh, to the young minister. In 2 Timothy 1, 6, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift which is in you through the laying on of hands. See, we see it in 2 Timothy 1, 7, but he's not going to, he's not going to, um, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He can't operate in that unless he is reminded to stir up that gift that is in him that came from the laying on of hands. Now, are you getting what I'm saying? I went ahead of myself a while ago. So Paul understood stood through his hands. Spiritual gifts had passed into Timothy's life. Paul was so convinced of the importance of the laying on of hands that he wrote in Romans 1.11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and of me. Impart is that laying on of hands. Paul fully understood that he physically needed to be with them so he could lay his hands on them. And he was confident that through his hands they would receive a divine impartation. He was actually saying that I may impart spiritual gifts unto you through my hands. So from the beginning to the end of Scripture, we find the importance of the doctrine of laying on of hands. A key Scripture that highlights its significance is found in Mark 16, 18. They will take up serpents. Okay, honey, go get my object lesson. They're in a cage. No, we're not going to talk about that. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. This means that every single believer is ordained by God to use his or her hands to deliver his power and blessing to someone else. I'll say that just one more time because you did not get it. This means that every single believer is ordained by God to use his or her hands to deliver his power and blessing to someone else. This also means that a primary reason we don't see more supernatural activity is that God's people aren't using their hands. God wants to use your hands. Through your hands, he stands ready to impart his blessing, power, healing, and deliverance to others. You simply must yield by faith and obey his commands to lay, his, lay hands on, on those who need his touch as his spirit leads you. If you'll get your hands out of your pockets and start laying them on people, you'll begin to see supernatural activity because God works through the laying on of hands. When you yield your hands for God to use them as his instruments, 
you will be amazed at the opportunities that come your way to transfer his blessings to others. Your hands may be used to impart the baptism in the Holy Spirit, healing the sick, deliverance to the oppressed, and increase of financial blessing, anointing to carry out special tasks, or any of God's many other spiritual blessings that he's so eager to give to those who will receive it in faith. We're almost done. Give him your hands. You may be one of those who have said, I wonder why we don't see more signs and wonders in the modern day. But are you using your hands to lay hands on the sick? If you will determine, this is not just for the pastor. Come on. This is for you. If you will determine to obey Jesus' command and to begin to lay hands on the sick more, you will see more of God's power demonstrated and more healings manifested because God works through hands. Start with your kids and your grandkids. Honey, do we have powwows at the house where we lay hands on kids? We do. And just thinking about that, how important hands are. You know, in Corinthians, Paul said this to the Corinthian church, greet your brethren with a holy kiss. And, and you study that, and it's not, I mean, in that time, in that culture, what is he saying? He is, there is something about the touch of people. Something about a touch. And it's so important that us as dads, I think it's important with our sons that we touch them. We love them. We embrace them with our grandkids. I think there's something about it with, with the babies. They've done studies on that, of babies that aren't touched. Uh, and, and I'm just saying to you parents, I think it's so important that even not only the importance of that, like those babies that aren't touched, they, they, don't, ha they don't develop like other babies. I'm going to tell you, even as believers, of people that are coming in the door, I, I'm telling you, I get, I get to call visitors every week. And one of the things that I get, I can't tell you how many people shook my hand, looked me in the eye, and greeted me with a holy kiss when I came in. Not, not like that, but you get what I'm saying. And I think that is important. There is something about that touch. How many of y'all know we, got, we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus? And we can't do that if we, if, if we don't demonstrate it. You can see why this is a central doctrine of the church and why it's such a crucial doctrine for you to understand. Embrace and act on. God desires power to be demonstrated in the church. And he wants to use you. But in order to do that, he has to have your hands. That's just the way it is in God's kingdom. His power is most often transferred through the laying on of hands. So take one more look at your hands. Give yourself a moment to realize with fresh understanding, fresh understanding, that they are more than just hands. These babies right here are instruments of God. They may look like hands to you, but your hands are actually conduits through which all kinds of spiritual goods are meant to be transferred to the other people. And as you lay hands on others by the leading of the Holy Spirit, you will begin to regularly see supernatural evidence of God's power and blessing manifested in people's lives because of your obedience. One last thing, God giving this doctrine right in the very center of these foundational doctrines shows us how interested he is in the personal touch. God wants to touch us with his hands. And he requires us to touch other people with our hands so that they can be ministered to and changed. Praise God for online ministry, but nothing will ever take the place of the human touch. 
God in his wisdom made it that way so we would we would have to be connected to one another to experience his fullness on earth. We can all see now how this pandemic was a demonic attack. Even the enemy knows how powerful this topic is. Are you beginning to see it? There's something about that touch. Oh, he touched me. Don't make me start singing, Miss Bonnie. Next week, we're going to look, look into the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Y'all pray for me because there is so much on this, and I don't even know where to begin. So, uh, but how many of y'all learned something tonight? Amen. How important it is all throughout from Genesis. I know there was a lot of scripture in there, but I don't want to leave one stone uncovered, and there's way more inside of there. But uh, I've actually had people tell me before when I've called visitors, that was just really weird to me when you had somebody come up there and you laid hands on them. You realized you were closer than six feet. And, uh, you know, I'm nice to them. I say, yeah, I, I realize that. I, I go through this. It's just the doctrine of the laying on of hands. It's the personal touch. Jesus did it all through Scripture. It's found in, in, uh, in the Old Testament, in the epistles. And it's a command that God gives to us. And uh, I, I believe this doctrine is important for us to believe because God wants you to see what you can do through your hands. There's so many times that you think, well, that's just for the pastor. I want to tell you everything that I preach on a Sunday morning is for you. And it's for me in my personal life. Just like leading people to the Lord. And you can do that. All right? You can lead people in, in, uh, um, um, in the gifts of the Spirit. You can lead people in all of it that's in here. It's, it's, you know, it's not just for me. It's for you. Amen? I believe that's a mantra that we fall into lots of times because you're 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 hearing it from us. And I, I trust me, I take it at high regard to teach the word to you well and get into that. Pastor Robert does, too. But it's for you to take it and run with it. Amen. Let's lay hands on our on our family members. Let's let's lay hands on the sick and see him recover. Amen. Amen. God, we thank you for this doctrine tonight. Thank you for the word. That opens eyes to see and ears to hear. God, I just thank you that uh, I pray that this didn't fall on deaf ears tonight. But I pray, God, that you would put a holy boldness on the inside of each and every one of these. God, that you would uh, you would demonstrate yourself and reveal things to people uh, as they begin to practice this. May our hands be the instruments of your power. May my hands be the instruments of your power. I pray, God, that uh, I, as I use my hands at work, I pray that the demonstration of me being uh, doing a work of excellence, God, would be a demonstration of your power. I pray that my hands, as, as, as I lead my family and my kids in my marriage, God, I just pray that this, these would not be hands to judge or hands to strike or hands to bring violence but they would be hands, God, that would advance the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would grab a hold of that, and, Lord, it would change each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We want to thank all of you who give to our ministries here at AOL Church. It's because of you that all of this is possible. You can give now by clicking the link below 
And if you haven't already, subscribe and share this message. It helps us reach more people and share the gospel through you. Be sure to stay connected to us through our Church Center app, our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and follow us on social media like Facebook and Instagram. May the Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Thanks again for listening. Go and make a difference today.